This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Boston Loose Baseball, episode 64. We will be joined by Nationals All-Star Josiah Gray. You will hear an interview we did with him. Speaking of which, we'll discuss Gray's first All-Star nomination and Lane Thomas being snubbed. We will also get into an adjustment that Mackenzie Gore has to make. And we're talking about what is a really cool homestand for the Nationals. The hottest team in baseball, one of the most fun teams in the sport over the last few weeks. The Reds are in town. And then after that, the biggest surprise in baseball this year, the Texas Rangers are stopping by. So all of that coming up on Bustin' Loose Baseball, up 64, right now. Bustin' Bustin' Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Now, here's your host, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. This is Boston Loose Baseball, episode 64, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. What's up, Toby? Nothing much. Good to see the boys getting some wins on the road. A 6-3 and three road trip coming back home for a fun homestand. So excited to see what the boys do with the yard this coming week. Yeah, before we get into the, the big all-star news of the weekend, that was a whale of a road trip. I mean, you go to San Diego, take two of three. To Seattle, get two of three. And then to Philadelphia, get two of three. So 6-3 and three overall. But the Padres are a team. I mean, they're the team that, that were buyers when you were selling Juan Soto. Like, they should be beating you. They were mad and, and, and fighting in the clubhouse, supposedly, yelling at each other after the series. Then you have the, the Mariners, who I picked to be in the World Series. That looks pretty dumb. But they're supposed to be a playoff team, not playing like it. And the Phillies, of course, were in the World Series last year. High expectations in the division arrival. That's about as fun a nine-gamer for a rebuilding quote-unquote bad team on pace for 66 wins as you can have. I I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Yeah, they're causing problems because like you mentioned with the Padres series, it seemed like they were when they were in D.C. that they got things going again. They go out to San Diego and they win two of three and Xander Bogarts is coming out saying we should beat teams like the Nationals, man. Like, come on. We really need to get it together. Then similar sort of thing happened out in Seattle, according to some reports with the Mariners. Like, come on, guys. It's it's the Nationals. And we can't be losing series to them. And then they go into Philadelphia and they win game one and then they get walloped in game two. And you're like, well, maybe it's not great. And then they come back and bounce back and win the next game. So good for the Nationals going on the road. And they've been pretty good on the road this year. They're nearly a 500 baseball team on the road this season. 
with a 21 and 22 record. The issue is, like I said, almost a 500 team on the road, 13 and 27 at home. So hopefully they can change that with this homestand with some good teams coming into town, but not great when they're at Nationals Park. By the way, just something I noticed, they don't play two straight games with the same start time again until like July 17th and 18th. Just kind of an oddity. <laughs> but there's 6.05 start time against the Reds uh, to kick off the, the series on Monday. Then 4th of July is 11 o'clock. The next day is traditional 7.05. Then a getaway day, 1.05. Then they play a 7 o'clock against the Rangers. Then a 4 o'clock on Saturday. Then a noon game on Sunday, earlier than even normal, which is odd. Then they're the 8.15 against the Cardinals. Like, it's crazy. There's no consistency. It's got to be odd for their uh, bodies and then the kind of the clocks mentally that they try to get through the season with. So we'll be monitoring whether or not that, that is anything that leads to any kind of issues. But let's get into the big story of the episode here, which is the All-Star game coming up in Seattle. And congratulations to first-time All-Star Josiah Gray who has made a leap this year. I, I had someone arguing with me on Twitter and upset that I was saying he's better this season than he was last year. Cause they're like, I thought you were an analytical guy. His peripherals all say he's the same or worse. Well, here, here's the problem with that. And we'll get into some of the peripherals. Yes. He's been a little more lucky, but he's also made real adjustments and, and has been better. I mean, anyone who watches this guy will tell you and, and can attest to the fact that if nothing else, the home run rate, Last year, which was worst in the league, being dropped off from 2.3 to 1.1 has been massive. His ERA has gone from over five to about 3.30. Now, if you look at uh, expected FIP and things like that, again, th there has been some luck. But he's done a much better job getting out of jams. I think he's done a way better job dealing with adversity in starts. Bad play behind him. Or he gives up a, you know, he makes a mistake and gives up an extra base hit or a homer. He buckles down. I think you saw the growth in his last start, which was this awesome moment, one of my favorite moments of the season in Philadelphia, where he was allowed finally to finish a sixth inning, one run, eight strikeouts, where he, he could have easily been taken out of the game. And probably any other time this season earlier on, Davey would have gone and gotten him, but he let him finish what he started with a couple of runners on, and he worked his way out of a jam. Uh, it was a huge sequence. Like, he wouldn't have been capable of that, in my opinion, last year. So we can dive into all the numbers, and they say that there's a regression coming in the second half, and and maybe he hasn't quite turned the corner to being a number two or or, or even a you know a stellar all-star-type starter in terms of some of the peripherals this year. But he gets the nod. He's got an ERA barely over three through 17 starts, which is hard to do in this sport. He's got an average against in the 240s, higher than it was last year but it's a lot less loud, long contact. Uh, there are some really encouraging signs here for Josiah Gray. Yeah, every single start he takes the mound, he just battles. I think that's probably the word that I would characterize his first half with is just battling because there are times when he gets himself into a jam and he finds a way to get out of it. And like you said, if you look at the peripherals, maybe he's not a ton better than he was last season. But if you're looking at the actual results, Sure, he gets himself into some jams, but he finds his way out of it. Like, he's been really good. Like you mentioned, his last start finds a way to get out of the jam, strikes out Bryson Stott to, to end the inning there. Davey trusts him and allows him to get out of it, and he does it. And so I think if you look overall what Josiah Gray has done this season, he's turned into a pitcher. He really has. Like, he's found a way to just 
get through his starts. And sometimes it's been a slog. Sometimes he'll go on stretches where you're like, man, can you just can you have a good six inning outing where you're not giving up lots of base runners? And he struggled to do that at times this season. But he's leaving the ball game with the team still in the game. And I think that counts for something. You know, maybe there's a regression coming, like you said. Maybe, you know, you look at some of these numbers and maybe he's been really lucky with what he's had happen early this season. But if you're looking at the results, what he's given you and, you know, why he's named an all-star, he's been the team's best pitcher this season. And I don't know if I'd go best player because I still think Lane Thomas got a little snub there. But, I mean, they obviously wanted to recognize him as the Nationals all-star representative, and I'm happy for him. Yeah, Lane Thomas has been their best player. I mean, playing every day, just more of him than Josiah Gray and where he ranks in the league in a lot of categories. And we'll get into Lane not making the all-star team in a second. Uh, On JoJo, though, I also wanted to say, like, this is huge for this organization, right? I mean, he's 25. He's coming into his own. He's actually been here now for parts of three seasons, which is crazy to think about. But this is his second full year, and then he came over in 2021 for the stretch run. He was in the major leagues as a then 23-year-old. But there is a lot of baseball still ahead of him as they turn this thing around. And he's only going to, in my opinion, continue to get better. He he was a two-way guy uh, at Lemoyne, New York, uh, in college, and, and this kind of taken to pitching later than a lot of top prospects did in the Dodgers system as a full-timer. But he's a really, really good dude. I really root for him. You know, he runs a lot of the events and all of the things that go on at the Nats Youth Academy as a player liaison. He's really accessible in the clubhouse. Um, he's always been very, very, you know, good, I, I think, and just answers every question and stands there after a bad start and wears it. And I just think he's a pro. I admire this guy. Again, you'll hear our interview when he came on Grant and Danny uh, with myself and Danny Ruye here coming up a little bit later on in the podcast about being an all-star for the first time. But uh, I am very happy for Josiah Gray. And I do think, look, this is earned, right? I mean, you're talking about a 3.30 earned run average. Now, we we are smart enough in 2023 to know there are numbers that can tell you a lot more about a season. But um, it, it's hard to, to make 17 starts on a bad team, throw about 100 innings, and he's like, you know, four good innings away from having his ERA in the twos. I mean, that, that is impressive. That, that's a big deal. So uh, let's give him some credit where it's due. It's been a, a breakthrough season in a lot of ways for Josiah Gray. Now I want to dive into some of the peripherals, which is where this gets interesting. Because if you're comparing him to last year, Toby, okay, his strikeout rate last year was 9.3 per nine. This year it's 8.1. So strikeout rate down a little bit. His walk rate was four on the nose. This year it's 4.06. Pretty much identical, but up a hair. One of the huge differences positively for him, okay, so fewer strikeouts, more walks, not by a lot. Uh, Very similar numbers there. But the home run rate, as I said, has gone from 2.3 to 1.1. Basically cut in half. And he's gone from being the league leader in home runs allowed to best on the Nats pitching staff in that category. His batting average balls in play, believe it or not, is actually higher this year than last year, meaning he was getting luckier last season on balls hit in play not becoming hits than he is this year. A couple areas where I think he's grown or at least having more success. He's leaving more runners on base. So this is your buckle down kind of, like you talked about, that that battling thing, if we're trying to quantify that, right? And it's not a huge difference. It doesn't sound like a lot, but last year he stranded about 80% of runners. This year it's up to 84%. So that adds up. 
another area that, that's a huge difference for him this season is ground ball percentage. Last year, he got ground balls 33% of the time. This year, 43% of the time. You know how you it's it's hard to hit a home run when the ball's on the ground, right? So he's it's a lot more ground balls. Uh, deep dive here into Josiah Gray, Bustin' Loose Baseball. Home runs per fly ball, essentially, or how often does a fly ball turn into a home run? Last year, about 19% of his fly balls left the yard. This year, about 12%. But if you look at ERA, it's it's down over a run and a half from 5.02 to 3.30. Expected ERA is essentially the exact same. Mm-hmm. Last year, 4.25. This year, 4.20. If you look at fielding independent pitching, about a 1.3 run difference between this year and last year, positively this year. But his ex-fip is actually worse this year. Like this is kind of what your ERA should be based on what you control kind of thing, as I like to say. Last year, 4.57. This year, 4.65. One huge difference is war where he was a minus player last year. This year he's been worth 1.3 wins. So uh, I'm not telling you anything's linear or, or there's any huge takeaway there other than to say, if you really look at it and deeply, he probably was better last year than the numbers and worse this year than the numbers and, and more similar over the two seasons. But again, I, I hate to be this guy, but I just think if you've watched for the two years, you kind of tell the difference. You can see where he is making real strides. So the most notable place that you can see a difference is his pitch mix. So if we look at last season, he primarily threw three pitches. He threw a four-seamer, a slider, and a curveball. This season, he's throwing five pitches over 10% of the time. A slider, the four-seamer, still a cutter, a curveball, and a sinker. And I think the biggest difference between last year and this year is the fact that his four-seam has been very bad throughout his career. If you look back in his time in the major leagues, it's always had a negative run value. So in 2021, or technically a positive run value, which is a bad thing for a pitcher, four-seamer in 2021 had an eight. Last year, a 22-run value, which is one of the worst pitches in baseball. This season, it's at zero, but I think the most notable thing, last season, through the four-seamer, 39% of the time. 2021, through the four-seamer, 51% of the time. This year, 23.7%. He's pitching this year. He's pitching. This is modern baseball. If you're not getting people out with the fastball, stop throwing the fastball. Throw the slider more. That's his main pitch this year, 27.6%. Mixing in the cutter, 16.8%. He's pitching this year. You know, Think about Strauss early in his career and the way that he evolved as he got older where it's a 2-0 count. That's historically a fastball count. What does he throw? Changeup. What does he throw? Curveball. That's what Josiah is doing this year. You would expect fastball in these situations. He's not throwing you a fastball. He's throwing you a slider. He's mixing in a sweeper now. He's throwing you a changeup. He's throwing different pitches because he's realized my four-seamer gets crushed a majority of the time. So he still throws it about a quarter of the time, but he's turned into a pitcher this season. And I don't know if that's a Jim Hickey thing. I don't know if that's a Josiah Gray thing. But that's a credit to those guys for working together and realizing, look, I, I can try to be old-fashioned and throw fastballs by all game long. That's why I'm giving up so many home runs, though. I'm throwing fastballs. They're hitting them. Let me see if I throw more sliders. And so the numbers might not look great like you were going through with the peripherals, but he's pitching this year. So if he's able to get guys out because he's throwing the slider and the peripherals don't like it, but the results on the field are good, I'll take that every day. Yeah, bottom line, and it's a great breakdown on the on the pitch mix. I mean, the exit velocity is identical. It's 87.4 last year, 87.1 this year. And his max exit velo is basically identical. 111.4 last year, 111 this year. 
The difference is the launch angle off the bat against him. It's the ground balls. It, he's just, it's fewer barrels, 11% last year, 8% this year. Hard hit, you know, 98 this year, fit 155 last year. So he's on pace to be under that, uh, but it's going to be similar. But it's, it's hard hit on the ground. And I just can't stress enough, like, what a game changer that is when your ground ball rate goes from 33% to 43%. Uh, which is what's happened for him. That hard hit percentage has gone from 36% uh, in his first year to 29.8, about 30% last year to about 20%, excuse me, 28% this year. So again, dips just ever so slightly. And I mean, you've talked about the pitch mix. I mean, the velocity with the, the fastball is, you know, it's actually down a hair. Last year was thrown around 94. This year he's thrown around 94. Uh, excuse me, last year was 95, this year 94 down a mile per hour. But guess what? You use the term pitching, which I, I love. Like, yeah, he's he's adding that other stuff in. So uh, he's gotten in the lab. He had the, the awesome spring training. I thought it was pretty criminal they didn't let him start on opening day. I, I still think that was pretty ridiculous uh, that they had Patrick Corbin go out there. But uh, he's dealing. So here's to hoping that he keeps improving. Like, as, as silly as it sounds, I mean, there's a lot of room for growth here. He is... You know, th this last start was his first really good start in a while. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, 100%. I think that, his big thing is going to be finding that pitch. If it's a slider, it's a slider. That's fine. If it's adding in a sweeper, I think it's just finding that put-away pitch that he can kind of depend on. And I don't think he's quite found that yet. I think that's the next step for him. He's taken that step from last year to this year where, you know, he's given up the home runs this year. He's keeping it in the ballpark, obviously, an all-star this year. We've ta talked about that. So I think the next step for him is just finding his bread and butter, whatever that may be. I think that's probably going to be a slider. And if that's the case, just making sure he builds on that. We'll ask him about some of the things we've been covering here. Uh, you'll hear our interview with Josiah Gray, end of this pod on Bust and Loose Baseball. All right, that was the good news, is that Josiah Gray made the all-star team. The bad news is, is that Lane Thomas did not, and Lane Thomas was extremely deserving. Over the last two full months of baseball, so a third of a season, he has been on a 162-game pace to score 125 times with 200 hits and to have 49 doubles and 42 homers while driving in 94 and stealing almost 20 bases while posting a 950 OPS. Uh, he has been excellent these last couple months. He came into a series this week. I'm trying to think of when I saw this graphic on Masson. So this was as of the week that they announced the All-Star team, probably been four or five games. But he this is where he ranked among NL outfielders. Batting average fourth, hits second, home run sixth, RBI second, doubles second, and assists second. You know, you often don't get two all-stars if you're on a really bad team. And so when Gray made the team, it, it became less likely that Lane Thomas did. But all, all I can tell you is Lane Thomas deserved to be an all-star. Um, you, you can make the case, maybe, more than Josiah Gray did. I'm so happy for Gray, and, and I think it's great for the organization that I'm not going to go that far. But Lane Thomas is an all-star outfielder this year. When you rank him among all the second uh, the, the outfielders in the National League, second to fifth in a lot of categories. It's just hard to tell me. And there are guys on the roster that haven't had as good a year. I know you don't want to have two nationals because they stink from a national standpoint, but come on, he's an all-star. That's what, that's what an all-star does What he's done this half. Yeah. I sent you guys a breakdown. It's a little outdated at this point because we played a couple of games, but uh, I won't bring up the exact numbers, but we compared what Ronald Acuna has done basically in the months of May and June to what Lane Thomas had done. 
And there's no doubt that Acuna was better, especially when you factor in stolen bases and defense and everything. But they were close. Like it was, a, it was the case where you could actually see like, oh, Lane Thomas has a few more doubles. Oh, he's only a home run or two behind what Ronald Acuna has. Always oh, had more triples. Always oh, just within a handful of runs scored, a couple of RBIs. The fact that he's that close to, I, I don't think that there's any doubt about it. The best player in the National League in Ronald Acuna Jr. The fact that he was that close in stat line makes you wonder why he wasn't an all-star. I get that his April was, I wouldn't say subpar, because I think he was like a 260 hitter but didn't have any home runs, and we were talking about that for a little while. But I I just feel like they missed an opportunity here. And again, I don't want to take away from Josiah Gray. I'm I'm glad that he made it, but I think this is a problem when you look at some of the other guys that made it, like a Lourdes Gurriel Jr. I think he's had a good year. But Lane Thomas has been better. I think there's some other guys that maybe even are more deserving than that. But I think this is just a case where they take more pitchers to the All-Star game. There's only six outfielders taken. Maybe he finds a way to get in if there's an injury in the National League outfield. And I think that would be well-deserved. But I I know it's hard to look at a team like the Nationals, that's one of the worst teams in baseball, and say they deserved more than one All-Star. Because I think Josiah Gray is deserving. But, you know, I think Lane Thomas deserved to be on that National League All-Star team. Agreed. You mentioned Lourdes Gurriel. I guess that's the gripe I have is sometimes you say, oh, this guy should be an all-star. And I always say to people, well, who are you taking off? You know, when you this guy should have been all first team all NBA or whatever the claim is. All right. Well, you got you, you can't just add someone without taking someone off. So, yeah, Lourdes Gurriel. Let's compare him. 282 at bats to Lane Thomas's 324. Lane's been on the field a lot more. 35 runs to Lane's 57. Uh, 76 hits to Lane's 97. Lourdes Gurriel has 13 home runs to Lane's 14. Lourdes Gurriel has 49 RBI to Lane's 44, the only category where he leads him so far. He has one steal to Lane's seven. He's hitting 270. Lane's hitting 299. He's getting on base 32% of the time to Lane's uh, 35% of the time. Lourdes Gurriel has an 810 OPS. Lane Thomas has an 854 OPS. One of these guys is an all-star. The other is Lane Thomas. So this, to me, was very simply a situation where they looked at it and said, do we really want to have a second national? Do do we really want to have two players from this team? And and they kind of got docked and and penalized, I think, for being bad. Now, from a big-picture standpoint organizationally, I think this is a bummer for Lane Thomas, and I feel terrible for him. He's been on the pod. He's a great guy. Because does he ever get another chance at being an all-star? I, I think there's a really good chance that he never becomes an all-star. And he deserved to be this year, probably. In fact, I would have bet tons of money. I'm not, I'm not a big better. I, I mean, I bet on a lot of things, but I, I was, you know, it's a small betting unit that I have. But I, I would have put 50 units on the fact that Lane Thomas was going to be an all-star and I'd be out a lot of money and my wife would be very angry at me. He should He should have been. Having said that, if you're talking about looking back five years from now for the Nats, like Josiah Gray's ideally going to be a fixture and a multi-time all-star and a pitching in the middle of your rotation and one of the faces of this thing. I don't know that Lane Thomas is going to be, which isn't a great way to look at it. But I think like if you were to ask, I know the junkies on 106.7, the fan asked Mike Rizzo who their most deserving all-star was, and they kind of led him and they said, what about Lane Thomas? And he said, yeah, he'd probably be the answer. This was like a week or two ago. But I think if you ask them privately, like, who would you most want to represent the organization at the All-Star game for 2023? 
I think the fact that it's JoJo is is like a better look. It's a guy that you brought over in the Scherzer Turner deal. It is one of the the building blocks of the, of the blow up, so to speak. You know, it's a it's a young pitcher at twenty five ascending. Um, I think it is actually the optics are good for them in that regard. Yeah, it almost justifies what Mike Rizzo has been doing, right? You let some of these star players go, and sometimes people will look at that 2019 team and then look at this team now and be like, where'd everyone go and what in the world happened? And so you have a guy that comes back in a deal with one of those stars, two of those stars getting traded to L.A. Now he's part of this rebuild. Now he's getting to be an all-star. kind of justifies the fact that, all right, we moved on from some of these big guys. We brought in some young guys. Sure, maybe it seems like this team has gone really down the drain since 2019, and they have, but at least they have some young building blocks, and one of them's an all-star this year. So I think you hit it right on the head that this is a good optic for the Nationals to have JoJo represent them out in Seattle. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, let's talk Mackenzie Gore for a second. So last start against Philadelphia doesn't go well. Mackenzie ends up getting lit up a little bit and this is going to happen progress is not linear the stuff's nasty we've talked about him all season long he looks like of all their guys including gray you know he's got the best chance right now to be the number one pending if they're able to add schemes in the draft or not but two and two thirds inning six hits seven runs earned three walks three strikeouts didn't have it against the phillies on the road at citizens bank ballpark and you noticed something that you wanted to talk about that we have referenced on the pod earlier this season. At times, we've thought his competitiveness and how angry he gets at himself can be healthy. He's got that kind of Max Scherzer bulldog in him. But sometimes it seems to go a little too far, and really it's the opposite of Josiah Gray and some of the progress we're talking about him making where he's able to channel things and and not let things bother him. It seems like Mackenzie Gore has kind of gone in the other direction a little bit at times. Yeah, so in that third inning, he struggled to find the strike zone early in the inning. He had a good first inning, kind of worked through, had a single pitch first inning, got through one, two, three. Second inning wasn't too bad either. Third inning, can't seem to find the strike zone, walks the first two guys, I believe both five-pitch walks, and then he ends up getting a ground ball to the first baseman, Dom Smith, who goes to second, looking to turn a, I believe, a 3-6-1 double play, but there was no one at first base. And it was maybe Mackenzie Gore thought he was going to come home because the bases were loaded, I think, or runners on the corners. Either way, there was a guy on third. Maybe he's thinking Dom Smith is going to come home with the throw, but he doesn't. And there's no pitcher cover in first base. And just listening to Charlie and Dave break it down, they're like, man, you know, it kind of seems like he's letting these walks and these frustrations and these struggles get to him. And we've seen this throughout the season with Mackenzie Gore at times. He'll miss a pitch and he slaps his thigh. And look, there's no problem with this. I love the competitive nature. I'd rather a guy be too competitive than not competitive enough. But there also needs to be a maturity that comes along with it where, look, man, you're going up against a good lineup in the Phillies. And sure, sometimes you're going to struggle and miss the strike zone as well. You got to battle through that. You think about being a professional, you know, this is something that, you know, might happen in the minor leagues and you can use as a learning moment. You're a professional now. 
When you struggle, you have to find a way to work through it. When you're on that mound, you have to find a way. Think of the guys that have come through this organization. Max Scherzer's been shelled before. Steven Strasburg's been shelled before. Doesn't mean that they're just going to mope on the mound and not cover first base on a ground ball to the first baseman. You need to go do your job. You need to be a professional. Even when things aren't going your way, you still have to be a professional baseball player. I think he'll grow from this. I think that Davey's probably going to be hounding him a little bit about it because Davey's already been on him early in the season about being a little too hard on himself and trying to be too perfect. But I think this was an example uh, that, that he can learn from, hopefully, but it was a bad example of where the competitiveness and the frustration just went a little too far for my liking. Yeah, and and I really like when guys take things seriously. I want them to care. You can care in different ways, though. Like, In other words, Ryan Zimmerman cared as much as anybody or more. He never showed it. You know, he, he, he was a duck on a pond. Under the water, his legs are moving a billion miles an hour. But he's just gliding across the top. You don't know that he's angry and he's livid. He doesn't have to break his bat over his knee or throw his helmet down or, you know, chase an umpire around to show that, right? There, there are ways to be a pro even when you are frustrated. But I kind of like, you know, Scherzer runs really hot. You know, he, as an ace, he was out on the mound, and you knew if he got in his way, it was curtains. Mackenzie Gore's got some of that in him. And I think that that's healthy. I think that that's good. That, that There are some number one, like, tendencies that come with that. But to your point, it can't affect your performance. You know, early in Strasburg's career, he used to have a hell of a time, if people remember, like overcoming anything that happened behind him. Bad play behind him, uh, error leads to a run, it, it, crooked number, four-run inning, whatever. You just knew the wheels were about to come off. And eventually that went away. He just kind of grew up and matured and got over it. And I do think that's a big part of pitching. I'm not saying Mackenzie Gore's even on, on that path, but we've seen him kind of get into it in the dugout with Victor Robles, which I didn't hate. Mm-hmm. You know, Robles should have gotten to that ball. But my point is, he seems to run hotter than a lot of guys. And you just need to make sure that that is a positive, not a negative in the middle of your start to your point. Like it can't affect you to the point where the task at hand becomes secondary or you're uh, distracted, as you said, from maybe carrying out a a menial task that you've been doing since PFPs. Like you got to just stay locked in. You know, I don't want to go too hard in the paint on a young guy because I, I haven't talked to him about this, or frankly, I haven't even talked to people in the Nats org if this is exactly what's happening. But I know it was brought up on the broadcast, and it, it, it does seem like he just at times is very visibly upset. Whereas you, with Josiah Gray, he's probably livid, but you can't tell. He's just kind of out there, and he's still pitching, and he's got that same look on his face. And then you can tell when he gets out of a jam, a la the, the outing against the Phillies, because it's it's a huge celebration. You know it meant something to him. It was really important to him. But right before that, he's a duck on a pond. You want a little more of that stay medium for Mackenzie Gore. But you got to be you, man. I mean, you, you can't you can't try to pretend. I just think it's about learning how to channel your emotions. I think about this all the time watching games. Like, think about it as a fan. You're sitting there, and and like this inning's going terrible. You you, you make a great pitch and a swinging bunt. All right, guy at first. Now you make a great pitch. You saw someone off, bloop shot into the outfield. It's first and second. Now you get squeezed on a 3-2 pitch, and it's a walk, and the bases are loaded, nobody out. And I'm sitting there, and I want to throw something in my basement. I mean, can you imagine how this player actually feels? Now you get a ground ball that should be a double play, and it goes off C.J. Abrams' glove, or he throws the ball down the line or whatever, and two runs are in, and you still got two on, and you still don't have anyone out. You've pretty much had a pretty good inning. Like, those types of things are going to happen in this sport. How do you deal? 
And and I would rather right now, uh, well, I would say almost anyone in the rotation, but like certainly Josiah Gray be in that situation than Gore, who just seems to get more bothered. Yeah, and I again, we have no issue with him being super competitive. I'd rather have that. It's just about channeling those things and finding a way to make sure it doesn't affect your performance, whether it's your mechanics on the mound, whether it's your pitch location and command, or just doing the fundamentals of covering first base. Those are the things that bother me. Honestly, I have no issue with him showing some frustration on the mound. We've seen plenty of great pitchers, you know, shout things into their glove because, you know, something happened behind them or something's not going right or they're pounding their you know, thigh or pound the glove or something. I don't care. I love all that stuff because it shows how much you really care and how much you expect out of yourself. I love that. But just make sure it doesn't affect your fundamentals and your ability to perform perform on the mound because it's not just you out there. You're also, you know, working with eight other guys on the field and you're really representing the baseball team that you have on your chest. So make sure you do a good job of continuing to be a professional even though it's not going your way that day. All right, real quick, let's look at this uh, homestand before we play our Josiah Gray interview for everybody. We mentioned that Ellie De La Cruz and the Cincinnati Reds are at Nats Park. The Reds are one of my favorite teams in baseball right now. I'm a big Andrew Abbott fan, the lefty they've called up from Virginia, who's been unhittable as well. Uh, Matt McClain, another rookie for them, was hitting well over 300 uh, since being called up. Has been awesome. It's, it's the best young team in the sport. I'm pulling for them to win the NL Central. I just enjoy watching the Reds. But on the other side of a four-game series with Cincinnati, you got the Texas Rangers in town. And I did not see this coming, but this is an unbelievable lineup. They are the best team in the American League West. I will say you're catching them at a good time because they have lost six of nine, I believe, uh, going into the week. But Adolis Garcia has 20 bombs. Their rookie Josh Young has 17 bolts. Uh, Ezekiel Duran has a 300 average and an 886 OPS. Jonah Heim was one of the better catchers in the league no one knows about. Has 12, home, 12 homers and is hitting 280. Uh, Marcus Simeon's one of the best second basemen in the league. Has an 800 OPS, 11 home runs, and closing in on 10 steals. Corey Seager uh, has not been healthy for the majority of the season, but when he was healthy, had an OPS over 1,000, was hitting 350. Nathaniel Lowe, their, their first baseman, is a pretty well-kept secret out west as well. Who's an 800 OPS guy. Uh, Leody Taraveras this year a 300 average. I mean, you just run through the team so much back to ball, so much power uh, with, with Jacob DeGrom who's out for the year that they could be a world series favorite, but instead, you know, there's some questions about if Nate Valdi and Andrew Heaney and, and John Gray uh, have enough and, and Martin Perez in that rotation, like, are they going to run out of gas? Dane Dunning, who's a former Nets first round pick. They traded to the white Sox in the Lucas Giolito deal for Adam Eaton. It has been a really good year. He's seven and one with a two six, 80 innings, not a lot of strikeouts, but a two twenty eight average against this year. Uh, so this is a fun team. So you got two teams coming to town that are among the better stories in the two leagues. This is as good a homestand as I can remember in a while at Nats Park in terms of the opposition. Yeah, I'm excited to watch both of these teams with the Rangers. It's cool to see them doing well because last year when they put that team together, I thought, okay, they got a good lineup. Maybe they'll be good, but the pitching kind of held them back. This year, they've gotten pitching from some unlikely guys. Like John Gray's really taken a step forward, struggled a little over the last couple of weeks. Same thing with Uvalde. He's been a good pitcher throughout his career, but he kind of took a step forward this year. Again, kind of taking a step back over the last couple of weeks. But they've been really good this year. And look, man, there's one team coming into town calling themselves America's team, and I can deal with this one. The other America's team I still cannot stand, and I hope that they lose every single game. 
I can get on board with America's team being the Cincinnati Reds. I like watching them. Obviously, Ellie De La Cruz headlines everything, but like you mentioned, all the young guys that they got on their baseball team, you kind of forget that they got a former rookie of the year and Jonathan India on that team too, a very likable guy. They're a fun team to watch, so I'm excited to see them in Nats Park. Yeah, should be a blast, and hopefully you guys get out to one of the games on this homestand. Long gone! All right, we told you, Josiah Gray joined myself and Danny Ruye on GND on 106.7 The Fan, the flagship Nationals radio station in D.C. Here's how the conversation sounded. Josiah Gray, congratulations. Well-deserved, well-earned. Top 10 in the National League in a bevy of categories on the pitching side, and you are headed to your first All-Star game. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Yeah, it's awesome just to, you know, be able to represent the Nationals, and um, this year has been awesome, you know, being able to to rebound from some, some bad outings, but also have some good outings, and it's been a lot of fun to just enjoy it with the guys. Go back through your journey. When you were, you know, you haven't been pitching for that long. You're a major league all-star now. Just unbelievable, I'm sure, to think about. But when you first started pitching, did you think anything like this was possible? <laughs> Absolutely not. You know, as as I progressed through my journey, you know, it was like, okay, you know, getting drafted, that, that was checked off. And then, you know, making my way to the big leagues, and that was checked off. And, um, you know, obviously being traded a few times in, in the midst of all of that, and then, you know, you never really think about an all-star game. You just, you know, want to um, go out there and, and do the best you can for the team and, you know, kind of just do it all that way. And then, you know, you never think about yourself. And then as the year progressed, you know, my starts were solid. And here I am now being able to uh, be announced at all-star. So you never really think about it. But to, to have the honor is it's, I'm extremely grateful, extremely blessed for the opportunity. And, you know, I, I, I hope to do the Nationals proud out there. First-time All-Star Josiah Gray, 25 years old. He's made 17 starts halfway through this big league season. He's been durable, taking the ball every five days. And he ranks top 10 in the National League with a 3.30 ERA. He's second in the major leagues, though, in road earn run average. He's top five in Nats history right now. He's got a 2.39 ERA away from Nats Park, where he's allowed three or fewer runs in 10 of his 11 starts. I actually saw the video the team put out yesterday. I thought it was really cool that they gave us and all the fans some behind the scenes access as Davey announced to the club that you were going to the all-star game looked like you got emotional and kind of addressing the team and then one by one most of your teammates came up and give you a big bear hug what a scene that was what was that like oh man that was that I think that kind of uh that that just hit the nail on the head for me you know for Davey to say it and kind of uh it took me back for you know a couple seconds and then I had to think of something to say to the guys so you know I went straight to thanking my teammates because you know I'm truly not here without them their support whether it's you know the bullpen picking me up after you know a rocky start or the hitters you know giving me run support or you know the other starters you know I get to chit chat with them during the games like and then you go to the coaching staff and what they've done and how they've helped me progress over the last two years here so it, it all it all came to a head there and you know I didn't want to uh, get too emotional but it kind of just hits you in the moment so Um, I think everyone understood that, so I had to take a second and just really try to think of something um, that would uplift the guys and let them know that, you know, whether um, they they think it or not, you know, they're all a part of this. So um, just really getting to enjoy it with the guys. And then, you know, everyone coming up to me one one after one, um, Corey Dickerson, 
um, as well. You know, he's an all-star himself, and he said, man, let it out. Like, this is this is a good moment for you. So um, definitely just, just had to embrace it, and, um, you know, it'll be something I never forget. That's Major League All-Star Josiah Gray with us here on G&D. Talk about your growth here from last year to this year, Josiah. Like, kind of take a look back over it. How have you? Where have you come the furthest? Do you think? Oh man, just just confidence going out there, trusting my stuff in the zone, and you know, if there's one thing I want to nitpick, you know, my walk rate's still a little bit up, but you know, I'm able to work around those those walks. But you know, I'd love to give those down. Um, but other than that, you, you know, the progress has just come with confidence in my stuff, just going out there knowing that I can throw stuff in the zone and get hitters out. You know, just not getting too high or low, um, you know, if situations going my way or not. You know, good example was um, the other night in Philly, you know, had two uh, softer hits. You know, I look up, I have first and third, no outs, you know. And just in those situations, you know, maybe last year, maybe the year before that, you know, I kind of – start panicking and I give up, you know, a meatball and, you know, it's a, it's a three run Jack and, you know, the team's losing now. So um, I still have a long ways to go. You know, I know I'm not a finished product yet, but just being able to see progress within myself, just the way I'm thinking about the game, um, the way, you know, my stuff's um, being thrown at the plate, the way hitters are swinging at it, you know, progress has definitely been made, but, you know, I'm not satisfied with this so far. You know, I want to keep going. I have another start on Wednesday that I have to be prepared for. So um, I know the work's not done. Against a good Reds team, no less. Josiah, we've talked a lot in the past about uh, how analytically driven you are. You're you're into the numbers. You're you're a studier. And so this will be a little bit of a long-winded question, but I want to ask you kind of bigger picture. I see major growth from you. You just hit on some of these things when I watch you. Some of the numbers from last year are actually similar in terms of like peripherals, right? Not ERA, but some of the other kind of hidden numbers. It's kind of comparable to last year. And mm-hmm. I, but when I look at you and I go, well, anal- analytically, it might say one thing, but anecdotally, you are getting out of jams. You're stranding runners at a higher rate. A couple of the big things that are different, the home run rate is way lower, a lot more ground balls, less line drives barreled, but it it seems to me like there there has been growth like that start where Davey leaves you in the game in the six you were just referencing. You know, I was sitting there at home fist pumping as you get out of that jam. Like, that was huge. And I'm not sure a year ago if you do that, like that empty the tank moment when things are going bad behind you, your ability to kind of just chop wood and stay medium. Like, all those things have improved, even if maybe some of the underlying numbers are similar to a year ago. I just want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. I I think it, it comes down to um, control of the situation. You know, I can only control so much. I can only control, you know, the pitch I'm throwing and my best ability to get it where I want to throw it. But after, you know, I throw that ball, you know, it's out of my hands. So that's been my process all year. Um, you know, whether I have, you know, a start like I did against the Cardinals or, you know, a start like the other day against Philadelphia, you know, obviously uh, varying results, but I don't, try to get too caught up in the results you know I think about my process you know was I committed to that pitch was I working with the right game plan was I you know uh, overthinking it was I not prepared but these sort of things I I just worry about my process and the results are going to be the results Um, you know it's this game's way too hard and if you beat yourself up you know whether you give up four bloop singles and you know your line gets skewed because of that that's 
that's just putting too much pressure on yourself. So for me, you know, I'm just worrying about the process. Did I make the pitch I wanted to make? And then that's just the overall image I've had this year is just, you know, stay committed to my process, stay committed to my game plan, and just let things fall where they may and not get too high or too low. So it's been successful. I know there's a lot more work to be done, but, you know, my process is going to stay the same. And, um, you know, I, as I said yesterday, whether, you know, I got this selection or not, you know, I'm still motivated to go out there, give the team a good chance to win, and see what we can do because I think we have a really good team and a lot of fun in that clubhouse. So, um, you know, things don't change whether I'm the all-star or not, you know, just going out there, giving the guys a chance to win. That's a great way to sum it up, though, Danny, what he just said, which is every time Josiah Gray pitches, you know the Nats have a really good chance to win. That's the idea, right? He's going to go out, he's going to pitch into the sixth inning or get through it, and they're going to be in the ball game. Uh, JoJo Gray with us here on Grant and Danny on the fan. So one other big difference, if I may, just diving into some of the numbers from last year, is the actual pitches that you're throwing. So last season, you threw three pitches at least 10% of the time. And you threw them all right around a third of the time, the fastball, the slider, and the curveball. But you've gone from throwing the four-seamer about 40% of the time last year to down to about 23% of the time this year. Now you throw slider, fastball, cutter, curveball, and the sinker a lot more. So it's really five pitches. If you add in this yep. sweeper that you've been working with, if, I, if I'm if i talking to you again in two months, maybe that's up to 10%. Maybe it's six pitches. Like It feels like there has been some major changes as far as yeah. the actual repertoire goes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you hit it on the head. You know, um, it's just kind of in being, you know, an inquisitive guy. How can I make my arsenal better? So last year, um, you know, I was predominantly fastball, curveball, slider to guys. And um, while I had, you know, some successful starts, you know, there were some starts that were rocky where, you know, I had to, you know, lean into the fastball count or I had to, um, you know, I got kind of got in a predictable pattern. So um, going into this year, you know, implementing the cutter, I talked about that I learned from Erasmo Ramirez, um, worked on that all off season, and that's been awesome. You know, the sinker as well. Um, started throwing that last year had some good results and, you know, I've just been leaning on it a, a tad more and it's been uh, successful as well. And then the sweeper, you know, a few weeks ago after Philadelphia, actually here at home, um, you know, I was just toying around and I was like, you know what, let me see how this works in the bullpen. And I was getting the movement that I was looking for. And, you know, I think I had a start against Atlanta a few days later and whipped out a few, few of them, got some swing and misses, got some soft contact. And I was like, okay, this can be a weapon as well. So, just being open-minded, I think, um, you know, when I got up here in 2021, you know, I was so, like, I felt like I boxed myself in with my repertoire in terms of, you know, your fastball's going to play, just whether this guy's hitting it or not, you know, you got to throw that fastball. And now, you know, I'm kind of in the mindset that I know my fastball can play, but I know my other pitches play in the zone as well. So how do I set up every pitch? How do I set up, you know, that fastball? How do I set up the breaking ball? you know, early in the count, later in the count, say it's a 2-2 count. How do I set up these pitches? So just learning, and, and there's a lot more learning to do. There truly is, but I think, you know, this year has been um, just a lot more eye-opening to just see uh, the swings that I'm getting, you know, on the same pitches, the same movement profiles, but how hitters are reacting um, this year compared to last year or compared to uh, 2021. So all those secondary pitches, it's such a feel thing, and I imagine it might change start to start, temperature to temperature, you know, how a certain 
uh, you know, maybe one slick baseball feels versus the next one that comes your way. When do you kind of know that day? Or let me rephrase it, JoJo. Like one of those times where you go, you know what? I don't have my slider today. It's a curveball day. You ever have those kind of in the bullpen and then sort of adjusting on the fly? When do you know maybe you've got one of the good ones today? And then when do you know, you know what? This may not be a day that features fill in the blank pitch. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it comes down to you're feeling the bullpen, but also hitters will tell you. So um, just kind of reading their swings. So, you know, for me to be successful, that's how I look at it. But how are they reading the breaking balls? Are they chasing low? Are they, you know, giving up on early breaking balls in the, in the zone? Like just learning those things, adapting with those things, because, you know, hitters change their game plan on the fly, um, as do we. So just understanding that and, and it's like that cat and mouse game we always talk about. And, you know, I, I think I've just learned to adapt and learn to um, just, just lean into, the, that, in the, into those characteristics of the game a little bit more because, you know, in 2021, uh, while I had some good starts, you know, I, I don't think I was thinking as much, thinking as deeply about it as I am now. So just growth and uh, I think that's been the biggest part in, in just learning and adapting. What do you hope, Josiah, when you get out to the All-Star game that uh, you can check off? I, I remember talking to Cal Ripken Jr. years ago, and, and he said that when he went to the All-Star game, he would always try to basically befriend the guys that wore him out as pitchers because he thought it like mentally changed their relationship forever if they were like buddies more so than if they were just strangers. Like, Do, do you just want to meet people? Do you hope to get in for an inning and, and strike out the side? Like, What are you thinking as you go out there? Oh man, there's there's so many things that I want to do. I think, like you said, meeting guys, meeting. Uh, there's eight Braves going, so um, getting to you know shake hands with those guys. We've had some great battles. Um, maybe you know lean into that mental side of the game if that's a thing. Who knows? Um, maybe meeting you know guys like Aaron Judge, Shohei Otani, Mike Trout, guys that you know I idolize and kind of uh, look to, look up to in in what they do in this game. Um, learning from pitchers like Zach Allen, um, rekindling my friendship with Marcus Stroman, um, learning from a guy like Bryce Elder, Spencer Strider. Just, I'm a big fan of the game of baseball, and this is going to be, you know, probably the biggest honor I've had to this point. And you know, to be able to be with the best of the best out there in Seattle is going to be, you know, a lifelong experience that I hope to just learn a ton from. And then, you know, from the playing aspect, I hope to obviously get in the game and and do what I can do and and show people that the Nationals know how to play ball. So um, a lot of goals, but just really want to embrace it and be able to meet some guys, be able to pitch and and just enjoy it. When did D.C. feel like home? Was there a moment where you're like, oh, I live here now. Like, I know where all the roads go. Or was it a, a restaurant that recognized you? Like, are, like, A, do you feel at home here yet? And B, when did it first start to? I absolutely feel at home here. Um, I, don't, I can't pinpoint one certain moment. Uh, but being able to, you know, come out here every fifth day and, and show out in front of the fans and do what I can do, um, I guess that makes it, you know, you get a little bit more um, – comfortable and and you feel good about it so um i can't pinpoint one moment but i love playing here in dc it's it's a beautiful city it's close to home so i have a lot of friends and family that'll come out from time to time and um you know i can't say anything but good things about the organization and the way they've taken care of you know us new guys because i still consider myself a new guy and 
uh, you know, it's it's been a lot of fun to just embrace the team, embrace the culture, and, you know, really start to build something fun for the future of this organization. Are you guys going to get to celebrate the 4th of July? The, the cool thing about this 11 a.m. start time over the years, I know the Nats have had sometimes – an event as a club where they'll either go out on a big boat or, or do something at somebody's place. Are you guys going to be able to, to enjoy the fourth? Yeah, I'm not too sure. I know we have the early game. Uh, I pitched the next day, so I can't do too much celebrating. Uh, but sure, I'm sure we'll have something as a team. You know, maybe it's something small um, and kind of just enjoy it. But yeah, we'll we'll see. Fourth of July for most people is like one of those great holidays. As a baseball player, I'd imagine anything in the summer, your whole life you just missed out on and, and don't really get that amped for. What's your one seed holiday on the calendar that you look forward to? Uh during the season? No, like year round. Anytime. Your favorite holiday. Um, um I'd say uh Christmas. You know, can't go wrong Christmas, you're around family, friends. Uh, you get to see a lot of people, you know, you might not have seen uh, in a while. So I, you get some gifts. You know, when I was younger, I'd get, I'd get a lot of gifts. And my birthday is close to Christmas, so I would get, like, double gifts, I guess you can say. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've kind of adapted to, to Christmas being the best one. And um, I also love Halloween because I get to hang out with my buddies back at home. Uh, but, yeah, I, I love, you know, all the all the holidays during the off season because you get to – Truly enjoy it. I can tell he's in shape because he didn't. He did say Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving's my one seed. That's ours. But Christmas is a close <laughs> second for sure. Football and food, Josiah. That that's hard to top yeah. for me on Thanksgiving. <laughs> Absolutely. Good deal, my friend. Well, listen. Congratulations again. Sincerely, it's been really, really cool to watch the journey, buddy, and enjoy the experience. Okay. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Josiah Gray of the Nationals. A big congratulations from Boston Loose Baseball a representative that we can get behind out at the All-Star Game. Easy to root for JoJo. Yeah, congrats, JoJo. So happy that he's able to represent the Nationals out in Seattle and hopefully gets a good inning out there and does well. No new comments to read. The shame, the audacity. Uh, We need uh, some reviews and some ratings and uh, comments. So wherever you get your podcasts, please do that. We will read all of the comments. I will tell you, Remember last week, someone had hit us up and said that uh, they had a relative. In fact, it was um, his brother, Paul, and his wife, Ashley, just had a baby, Harper, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Well, I heard from Paul on an Instagram direct message at Grant H. Paulson. Sent me a picture of him and Harper. The baby came, and uh, he said, basically, it sounded like a coincidence. This was not named after <laughs> Bryce Harper. That was not the situation. Uh, but seemed like a really good dude, and he listens to the pod all the time. So, Well, thanks for listening. Uh, Congratulations. Yeah, we appreciate that. All right, for Bustin' Loose Baseball, episode 64, we are done. This one's in the books. We're back at it later in the week. Thanks for producer Darius's work and Toby and Grant saying so long. We will catch up with you in just a couple of days. And happy 4th of July.